In the year 2010, a television show called Undercover Boss aired its first season. And the premise of the show was that a chief executive officer of a particular company would descend from his lofty corner office with the big windows, you know. He would put on a disguise and then he would infiltrate one of the company's locations, be it a restaurant, a department store, a coffee chain, what have you. The staff at whatever the location was totally unaware that the newly hired employee or somebody that was participating in some sort of a competition was in fact the company's boss. And this is what that looked like. Have a look. I'm Mitchell Modell, CEO of Modell Sporting Goods. While I'm undercover, I'll be posing as Joey Glick, a former pizza store owner that closed up six months ago. Are you the contestant? I'm the contestant. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Hi, Angel. I said I'm working with you today. Yes, you are working with me today. How's it sound? It's good. All right, great. My first impression of Angel is I'm blown away. The understanding how important customer service is, and it's great to see a CEO of things that I totally believe in is being filtered down at store level. So you told me that you had a piece of business. Why did you close your pizza shop? I had it for about 12 years and just too much competition on the street. I, I closed it up about six months ago. Wow. Yeah, it's a very sad thing happening to me. And Joy, I, th I think I think you're very brave. And I, you know what? Sometimes you may have ups, and some, sometimes you may have downs. But as long as you drive yourself, you're going to be fine. I love this job. This is very good. But it hasn't always been this way. What happened to you? When I turned 25, I ended up being pregnant. And I was a manager at a restaurant. And then I got too far along, I couldn't work there anymore. And ever since then, it's just like times have been really, really rough. It's, you know, we've been homeless for a long time. We live in a shelter now. It doesn't you even... You live in a shelter? It's a homeless shelter. Been there for about, like, two years now. I have three children, you know, that are in school and stuff like that. A four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a 20-month-old. <sighs> yes. It doesn't matter, though. Don't I don't want you to feel sad for me or anything. It was way worse than that. We've slept at bus stops. We've been down to where as though we didn't have any money to eat. And I'm going to tell you something things get better. As long as you have that drive in there, as long as you push and you push, things are gonna get better. I have never experienced a moment like this, knowing what she's gonna be going home to. Here you are, a department manager in apparel, teaching me and showing me every inch of the way. You were just amazing. I just hope that I'm doing good for you. <laughs> it was above and beyond anything I could have ever expected from an associate. You're the kind of leaders that we want in our company. <laughs> And that's why I'm promoting you to assistant manager. What? Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. I can't believe this. We're giving you a $14,000 raise. What? You deserve it. Oh, God. I think about that homeless shelter, where you go home every night since I left you. It kills me to see that you're still there. Is that why I have a check for you? <laughs> because I want you to move out of there immediately, like tonight. And so I have on me a check for $250,000. Oh, my goodness. No. I have a financial advisor that I'm setting up with you. And taxes are taken out, so it's $250,000. Yes! Oh, my God. 
and I don't want you to live in that homeless shelter ever again. A small sampling of what this uh, television program has been like. Now, I, I showed you that clip, and I'm telling you about this, this show because the premise to me is interesting because it is not just about the boss, the CEO, coming down and spying on his employees so that he can go back and write up all the slackers or, or so that he can fire the delinquents on the spot, although from my understanding in doing research that has happened in the show. But a major part of the premise is that the boss puts himself in the shoes of the people that are actually doing the nitty-gritty work. People that are going about, uh, going in for their shift day in and day out, and they are the backbone of the company. It allows him to see things from a different vantage point and also allows him to have their perspective. He comes down from his lofty perch as CEO and he gets a taste of what it's like to be a lowly employee. He gets to experience the daily grind of working for the company that he leads and in so doing has the opportunity to make some great improvements to the company and to the lives of his employees as we just saw that he would not have been able to do had he stayed in his cushy, comfortable office chair. Now, we are not all CEOs of big businesses or Fortune 500 companies here tonight. I think that goes without saying. I certainly am not. But the principle can be applied to many areas of life, and that is this. That if you want to fix something, you can't do it from a distance. I, I was, just before I came up here, I was trying to think of, of an example of this in my own life, and I, a story came to mind of how a few years ago we rehomed our two dogs. And we rehomed them to a family here in the church, and we warned this family up and down that uh, the young, well, he was the oldest of the two, the smallest of the two dogs was a runner. And three separate times up to that point, he had run away from us, run away from sitters. And uh, one day, you've heard the story, I think, from me before, but he was gone for 23 days straight. It was not pretty. And I I said, you've got to, I mean, keep the dog on a leash in the house. Just do whatever you have to do because he doesn't know you and he's going to try to run. And surely enough, within 24 hours of being rehomed, he ran. And unfortunately, they had gone on vacation that day to Ormucto Lake in Harvey in the middle of nowhere, and he was lost in the woods. And so, like any good former dog owner would do, I decided to go out and wade into the mess and try to help fix it. And so here I am, wandering through the woods of Harvey, around Ormucto Lake. Quite a name for a lake in Harvey, wouldn't you say? And, and couldn't find the dog, little maverick, couldn't find him. So I come home, and I get a message later that night that, hey, we saw the dog just across from our cabin. And so I go out the next day, and here I am again, wandering through the woods of Harvey around Ormucto Lake, and the dog must have caught my scent. That was my intention. Because the next morning at 7 a.m., apparently the dog, Maverick, was sitting on the porch waiting to go inside and find me. Now, I wasn't there, but he was found, praise the Lord. It's my understanding that he actually passed away this past week, that dog. So if we could have a moment of silence. <laughs> Moving right along. 
But if you want to fix something, you can't do it from a distance. It would have been quaint for me to just say, well, that's too bad. Hope you find them. But by me going and getting in the middle of the mess, I think that's the reason that he came out of the woods. Or maybe he ran into a coyote. I don't know. One or the other. But, but this comes to bear in various scenarios in life. I think of a parent going to visit a teacher when their child is struggling at school. There's just something about stepping into the middle of the struggle and the situation and having a face-to-face and talking about the issues that, that can bring resolution. It's when we have a face-to-face with somebody that maybe we are having troubles with. I mean, pardon me for bringing the Bible into this, but Jesus said if you've got problems with somebody, go to them and talk it out. Because from a distance, it doesn't really work that well. Let me just say that that when someone's walking through a dark season, the prayer hands emoji is wonderful, but it's not the same. It's not the same as calling them up or better still going to them and letting them know, hey, I'm with you in this season. I'm walking through it with you in spirit and in person. Here I am. What do you need? I got thinking about our team and and in particular, Jason Jensen, I didn't ask him if I could talk about this, but over this past year, visiting the homeless community in the city of Fredericton and spurring a church family on to action with our Christmas bags for the homeless community in our city this, this year. Can I tell you, that was from somebody stepping out, getting in the middle of, of the darkness, getting in the middle of a difficult situation and bringing about change. Here's the reality and here's the truth. You can't make a difference from a distance. You can't make a difference from a distance. You can't always legislate or implement policies from a desk somewhere and and expect everything to turn around for the better. Sometimes you've got to get right in the middle of something in order to make it better. Sometimes, to borrow a military phrase, you've got to put your boots on the ground. Get your hands a little dirty and in order to affect change. One thing that I've realized from marriage is that it's really easy to be a backseat driver. Sorry, marriage really is just a secondary thing, but it's really easy to be an armchair quarterback, isn't it? It's really easy to hurl critiques through a computer screen. Humans are funny creatures sometimes, aren't we? We would rather be a part of the peanut gallery by times and offer our opinion on how things should be done or or what they should do or what you should do to change things rather than wade into an issue and actually do something ourselves to help make it better. That's easy. Tom Brady, you should have threw it over there. Right. You can't make a difference from a distance. Which is why it is imperative that the church not become cloistered pockets of sanctified saints who never venture out beyond the four walls to minister in our community. But we must intentionally find ways to meet people where they are and not merely expect them to figure out how to get their way to us and ultimately to God on their own. That's why the Great Commission is not y'all come. The Great Commission is to believers and it is Go ye. Go. Meet them where they are. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he addresses many different issues, but beginning in chapter 8, he is talking about an issue in the church where there's some Jewish believers and they're trying to uh, infringe some Jewish worship traditions on on new believers in Christ. And Paul is addressing this. And 
and, and he's specifically talking about the practice of eating meat and how it offends certain Jewish believers, but how we have liberty in Christ to eat it. But we don't want to offend people in so doing. And so that's the context of what he's addressing. But in that context, he addresses how to effectively minister to people as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission. 1 Corinthians 9.19, it says, Even though, Paul speaking, I am free, and even though I have no master, I have become a slave to all people with the purpose to bring many to Christ. Paul said, I live my life indebted to lost people in my world, in my sphere. I live indebted to them as a slave to people Ultimately, so that I can do something to bring them to Christ. And then he gives a couple examples. He says, when I was with the Jews, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not under the law anymore. I don't abide by those Jewish worship traditions anymore. I'm under grace, and I am in Christ now. But when I was with the Jews, nonetheless, I lived like a Jew so that I could bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, well, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to that law. I don't have to anymore. But I did this with the express purpose of bringing to Christ those who are under that law. I'm going to build a bridge somehow. I'm going to find common ground with them some way. And then he goes on in verse 21, and this is where we start to get a little bit nervous because... Now we're not talking about the religious Jewish folks, but he says, when I'm with the Gentiles, when I'm with those in the world, when I am with those that are lost in sin, those who do not follow the Jewish law, they don't really follow any kind of law, perhaps except the laws of the land. But when I am with them, I too live apart from that law. I'm not following Jewish religious worship rituals in those moments, and it's ultimately so that I can bring them to Christ. And he does qualify. He says, I don't ignore the law of God entirely. I obey the law of Christ. I am still following my moral convictions here. I'm not compromising my walk with God in an effort to reach people. I still obey God's word as we all must, of course. But ultimately, Paul is leading to a principle that guides his life. And he shares it in verse 22. He says, when I am with those who are weak, when I'm with those who are broken and lost and without God, when I'm with them, I share in their weakness. Because I want to bring the weak to Christ. When I am with lost people, I find something that we can both resonate with. Because I want to win them to the Lord. And then he says the statement that I'm borrowing my title from tonight. Yes, I try to find common ground with everybody. Doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. Because my purpose is to bring people to Christ. And Paul understood that if he could somehow build a bridge of connection, if he could just find some topic of conversation or, or some activity that could foster a relationship, ultimately that bridge would one day be the avenue through which he would preach the gospel to them. It starts simple. It starts with common ground to bring someone to Christ. He was doing what he could to get on the same level people without Jesus. I got thinking of, of how 
how our missionaries in foreign fields and in some cases sensitive nations in our world, our fellowship sends different missionaries to sensitive nations and, and, and they have gone to these places, our missionaries, to reach beautiful people with the gospel. The ultimate goal, like Paul, is to bring them to Christ. On the screen is one of our missionaries. You might know this person. They've been sent from North America into one of those sensitive nations. And if, if they were to come back here to North America to raise funds or maybe to attend a conference, I can promise you they wouldn't look like that. <laughs> but over there, this is a simple way to build a bridge. And to not automatically offend the people that you're trying to share the gospel with. To not stick out like a sore thumb and just say, well, I'm North American. I'm going to do it my way regardless. No. No, no, no. I want to find common ground. I want to find common ground. And if this is a way that I can do it without compromising my convictions, then I'm going to have at it. The mentality is very much the same as Paul's. I'm going to find common ground with the people around me in an effort to minister to them because heaven forbid that I alienate them by exercising my liberties in Christ. And so like Paul said in the King James Version, I will become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. All things to all men. You find me somebody in this world and there's some way, some thing that I can find in common with them ultimately so that I can by any means possible bring them into a relationship with Christ. You, you think of the person here in your mind, somebody that you know or maybe somebody that you just kind of know from afar and you think there's no way I have anything in common with them. Can I let the words of Paul challenge that idea for a few moments tonight because anybody in this world, you can find something in common with them. Talk about the weather, if nothing else. All things to all men, by all means, that I should save some. In order to see a change in people's lives, you have to do what you can to become like them. Which sounds counterintuitive, but you can't affect change in people from the outside looking in, from some lofty spiritual perch looking down. While standing at a distance, you have to get on their level. You've got to spend time in their shoes and in their company. And this presents the opportunity to leave an impact. It's called common ground. Now, as Paul said, I know, I know when we talk like this, it can make some get nervous. Those that have maybe been around this for a long, long time. Because it's dark out there and it's messy out there. And it is possible, and maybe we've seen it happen before, for people to go out and try to make a difference and they get entangled again in the things of this world. And, and Paul did qualify and say, you know, we shouldn't adopt the world's sinful behavior to reach them. And I think of the words of Jude in verse 23. He said, we rescue others. It's all about others at the end of the day. And we rescue them, snatching them from the flames of judgment. And we show mercy to still others, but we do so with great caution. We hate the sins that contaminate their lives. And so again, I say, like Paul, like Jude, we don't compromise our convictions in order to see somebody saved. However, we should seek to find that common ground, that commonality with people any way that we can and get around the lost at every opportunity possible. During his earthly ministry, Jesus lived this way. 
when he was here on earth, he, he didn't spend his time hobnobbing with the religious elite of his day. But he spent his time with people that needed help and needed healing. He did it so much that, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all of those kind of people, the religious crowd, they called Jesus a friend of sinners. A label that no doubt they meant as a derogatory term. Something to, to diminish and minimize Jesus. But he embraced it. It's what he came to do. He would often sit and have meals with people who were not religious at all. People who lived in outright sin. And when questioned about it, Jesus, he looks at the Pharisees square in the face and he tells them that healthy people, they don't need a doctor. Sick people do. You see, Jesus could have spent all of his earthly time around the temple and around the synagogue. In fact, at 12 years old, that's where he was. That's where his family found him when he was lost in Jerusalem. He was, he was in the temple and he was talking with the teachers of the law and the religious leaders. He, he did fit in really well there and he would have fit in really well there, but he didn't just go and hobnob with them. He got out amongst the people that were in need of the hope that he had to offer because Jesus understood that even he, even the Savior of the world, couldn't make a difference from a distance. He had to get on their level. Try to impact those through common ground. Through common ground. And so guess what? I'll go eat with publicans and with sinners. Zacchaeus, why don't you come on down from that tree? Because I need to go to your house today. Salvation is coming to your house today. Hey, hey guys, I must needs go through Samaria because there's a woman at a well somewhere and she is bound and broken by sin and she needs the living water that I have to offer. So I need to go and be where they are. I'm going to find a place and make a space to find common ground. Common ground. Brothers and sisters, ultimately this is the story of Christmas. How God came down and robed himself in flesh and became Emmanuel, God with us. Music, join me. See, the whole reason that there was an incarnation is because God could not save the human race. From a distance. God could not stay in his, in his lofty heavenly home, if you will. God could not stay and remain in the glory of eternity and of heaven. But he had to come near. In order to bridge the gap between sinful humanity and God's holiness, God had to come down from heaven and be like us. And this is not some abstract theology in Scripture. This is everything. This is, is the crux of the matter when it comes to salvation. Because if God stays distant, then we're still lost. But God had to come near and be like us. And only then, only once He got on our turf and walked in our shoe leather, could He effect change and present an opportunity to us for salvation. The writer of Hebrews, he breaks it down so beautifully. He says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, 
He said, because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also, Jesus, He became flesh and blood. For only as a human being, only as a human being could He die. And only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way, by by becoming a human being and walking around in human flesh, only in this way could He set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. This was not some secondary thing. This was imperative. And then, and then the writer, he just throws this in. Just a reminder to all of us how, how wonderful and beautiful the hope that we have is. He says, we also know that the Son did not come to help the angels. We, we know that a third of the heavenly host, they fell from grace. And, and God has not redeemed them. But God came to help the descendants of Abraham. God stepped into our story, to the human existence. And and He made a way for us when He didn't have to, but He did. That's almost just an aside in the passage. He carries on in verse 17, Therefore it was necessary, necessary, for Him to be made in every respect like us, His brothers and His sisters. It was necessary so that he could be our merciful and our faithful high priest before God. And only then, only by coming and being like us and, and finding that common ground of the human existence, only then could he offer the sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. He had to draw near before he could go there to the cross and take away the sins of the people. Since He Himself has gone through suffering and testing, He is able to help us when we are being tested. And and here's the point. I think you know it. God could not stay far removed from the problem and still fix the problem. But He had to come down and become like us. He had to get right in the middle of our mess in order to fix it. He had to get right in the middle of the human story in order to rewrite it. He could not stay in heaven. But he had to come down through a great condescension, leaving heaven's throne and entering into this world as a baby born in a lowly manger. Understand that that the nativity scene that maybe you have in your home this Christmas season The manger with a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes is more than just a cute Christmas symbol, but that is common ground. It is the God of all glory building a bridge to a broken humanity so that they might make their way to Him. And so as we celebrate the Christmas season, as we open our gifts and we spend time with family as we should, let us remember that only through a baby in a manger, only through God taking on human flesh and human frailty could He solve our sin dilemma. God couldn't stay far removed and help us because you can't make a difference from a distance. You can't do it. And so I quote the prophet, Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. With us. God with us. I quote John from the New Testament. And the Word, the God of all glory, was made flesh and dwelt among us so that we could behold His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I know maybe it's a, it's, it's a truth that you've come in contact with many times before in your life living for God. But let me remind you one more time that in order for Jesus to save us, He had to be like us. He had to come to this earth and live like us and feel pain like us. Couldn't stay in heaven and get the job done. But He had to come down and take on our nature, take on our pains, and take on our problems, and take on our scorns, and our shame, and every other aspect of the human story in order to effect change for humanity. And I thank God that He did. But if I could just turn it back to us for a few more moments, and say that if even God Himself couldn't save people, if God who can do anything couldn't even do that, save people without coming among them and creating common ground, then then how can we, brothers and sisters, expect to do any different? You can't make a difference from a distance. We can't just make a difference in these four walls, and you can't make a difference in your four walls. Sometimes you've got to step beyond them and get close. And the call for all is to step into a broken, dark, confused, convoluted world and find common ground. That's how you see change occur. And so let's find common ground at Christmas. I know what Christmas is like. Sometimes you have the family get-togethers, and there's that really strange great-uncle. And he talks weird and smells funny. He has these weird opinions about everything. And it's so easy to just brush people away. We're out and about in the hustle and bustle of the season, some of us, and we're bumping into people, running into people. We need to find some common ground even at Christmas time when we're busy and things are a little bit full. Because if we can get close, if we can build some bridges, we can make some change happen in our world with the power, the help and the power of God. Our world is divided enough. We're given a million and umpteen different reasons why, we're, why we should be divided from this group or that person or, you know, they look different, they talk different, they, they're of a different economic status than you, they live in a different neighborhood than you, they, they have a different political persuasion than you, they believe a different, uh, a, a different theological belief than you. There's so many reasons why we should be divided. The world gives us enough. Religion gives us enough. But I feel like God wants us to build a few bridges where we can. Because we can build a bridge. Yes, even with them. Yes, even with that person. Yes, even with that family member that maybe, maybe they walked away from this. You can build a bridge with them too. Find some common ground. You can't make a difference from a distance. 
And so let's not just hurl our criticisms from long range, but let's get in the middle of the mess and see if we can't make, make a change by the power of the Holy Ghost in our world. Stand together with me this evening. Aren't you thankful that in due season, when the fullness of time was come, that God sent forth His Son into this world, made of a woman, made under the law. God, God came down and took on flesh to change our story. And with His help, we can change somebody else's story. Can you raise your hands here before we move on into the next moment of this service? I just wonder if you can raise your hands and just if, if you can receive what the Lord is speaking to you in this moment, what He is speaking to our church tonight. In the midst of this season, God would say, let's find common ground at Christmas. Let's find common ground in the year 2022 because God has some stories to turn around. God has some lives to, to move toward the gospel. God wants to see our lives make a difference in somebody else's life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just lift your voice with me for a moment. And can we just pray together as a church family? And can we allow the burden of the lost and the, the burden of, of a dark and confused world, can we let that burden rest again? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God, give us a mind for it. Give us the heart for this world one more time, God. Just before you will come back for your church, Jesus, let there be one more wave of revival that happens in Jesus' name. God, help us to believe you for it. And God, help us to step out in the middle of it, Jesus. God, help us to be your hands and to be your feet in this end time age. God, I pray that you'd put it within our spirit, God, that desire to build bridges when everybody else is burning them and when everybody else is tearing them down and building up walls of separation and, and becoming more and more polarized and more and more divided. God, I pray that your people would step out and be salt and be light in this dark world. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Oh, one more time, just let there be, there be a wave of prayer that would ascend from this sanctuary tonight. Just lift your voice one more time. I love us.